Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I am Director of ECFR and I'm joining you now for a very special podcast on the foreign policy of the refugee crisis from the European Policy Centre in Brussels. I'm here today to take part in a debate on that topic, um, which is one of the, the President's tables chaired by Herman van Rompuy, the President of the European Policy Centre, but also uh, perhaps even more importantly, the President Emeritus of the, the European Council and uh, former Prime Minister of Belgium. Um, the other guests on this are uh, my fellow speaker at the event, Pierre Vimont, who used to run the European External Action Service, was the French ambassador to Washington, one of the most senior diplomats anywhere in Europe, uh, and is currently a senior associate at, the, at Carnegie Europe in Brussels. And uh, third up is uh, my colleague from ECFR, Anmut Muller, who is co-director of our office in Berlin. And finally, a man whose biography probably makes it look like he was genetically uh, created to discuss the refugee crisis, Yanis Emmanuel Lidis, who is a uh, German-Greek uh, Brussels resident who's Director of Studies at the European Policy Centre. So, uh, Pierre, maybe you could kick off the discussion and lay out what you think the main foreign policy dimensions of this refugee crisis are. <laughs> I, I think, uh, first of all, and I would start with this, uh, this crisis has been managed uh, so far by the European Union with uh, mostly uh, the home uh, ministers in the lead, uh, which means that the internal issue, the internal dimension, has been very much in, in the forefront. And what has been driving um, heads of state and government in their decision has been mostly a concern about internal problems. In other words, uh, how to control the borders, how to uh, implement hotspots, uh, how to relocate inside Europe. Where I think, because of the uh, very strong external dimension of this whole crisis, we should have put maybe more emphasis on the um, on uh, on the external relation uh, and give maybe more. Uh, more work to be done by the um, by the foreign ministers. Hence, you see very little of Europe on the external aspects of that crisis. In other words, the most obvious one, how to try to solve the Syrian crisis, um, mostly at the moment. It has to do with uh, the United States and with Russia that are leading uh, the negotiations. Maybe they will not find their way out, but it's very interesting to see that the intense diplomatic activity is being led by uh, by uh, Sergei Lavrov and uh, and John Kerry, and we don't see much of uh, of Europe there. And on other issues, I don't want to list them all. I don't want to take too much of your time. But if you start thinking about how do we go to the core of the uh, of the refugee and migration crisis, looking at the economic dimension looking at the political refugees dimension, how to create um, safe and legal ways to come into Europe, how to um, manage this in a dignified and human way, even if we want to increase the return and readmission of many of these uh, refugees, uh, kindly or gently push them back to their um, countries of origin or to the transit country. 
this has to be done through diplomatic conversation, um, very long negotiations. And for this you need time, you need to work in the long term. And on all of this, we haven't seen much of this so far in this, um, in this crisis. I think it will slowly come in, I hope so. Uh, but because of the lead being given by the home ministries, uh, we haven't seen much of it yet. So, I'd like to come back on some of those specific things a bit later, but maybe before we can do that, um, Herman, um, maybe you can give us a sense of, of how serious uh, a foreign policy crisis you think this is. I mean, you were president of the European Council at lots of points when people thought that Europe was going to blow up uh, during the Euro crisis. How do you see this differing from the, uh, the Euro crisis? Do you think this is an even deeper uh, crisis facing the European Union? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, this refugee crisis compared to the Eurozone crisis, there are a lot of um, differences, but also there are a lot of similarities. Um, big difference is that in the Eurozone crisis, it's also about people, but indirectly. Huh? Uh, I mean, uh, people, that, uh, the Eurozone crisis affects their, their employment, uh, uh, their, purchase, their income, uh, but here it's about people. Uh, people in the sense that uh, refugees are human beings, uh, and um, during this crisis this human voice, I didn't hear it sufficiently uh, from, our, uh, from our European leaders, and it's about people inside Europe. Uh, people felt uh, insecure, threatened even, touching upon their identity. It can be right or wrong, but uh, people are uh, affected on the most sensitive point, th their identity. Uh, or there are other considerations, what, does, what is the cost of all these, and, and what is the prospect, uh, if we can manage one million, but what with next year, and then so on, the, the, the prospect is, is frightening. So the, this Schengen crisis is about human beings here and human beings in the, in, in the Middle East. The second big difference is that in the Eurozone crisis, of course, we were depending on the financial markets. It was an external factor. But we knew that if we worked in the member states, putting their house in order, uh, and if we worked at the level of the Eurozone, strengthening the economic and monetary union, it took some time. Right? It took two years and a half. We could manage the crisis. Here we are depending from external factors. As Pierre Vimeau mentioned, we are depending from the peace process, and here we are depending from Arab countries, what's happening inside Syria, we are depending from Russia, from the United States, we are not a fully participant, I find, in those negotiations, but in any case we are dependent. Yeah. We are dependent also from Turkey, yeah. uh, because we can speak about uh, uh, safeguarding our external borders, but even technically, and we're not speaking legally, but even technically, without the cooperation of Germany, of of, uh, of Turkey, it is just impossible to do the yeah. to do to the job. 
So there are a lot of similarities, but also a lot of um, a lot of differences. If you allow me, in managing a crisis, you have at least two things. You have crisis management. That's what we are trying to do in stemming the influx, the massive influx of war refugees. Um, let's say taking into account international law and human dignity, but that is the crisis management, the hotspots, the relocation, and, and so on. Uh, and at the same time, we have to work uh, on, um, yeah, let's say, uh, on measures so that this crisis cannot happen again in the future. Yeah. And again, very briefly, you have, to, uh, you, you have here also two kinds of actions that can be taken. First is um, strengthening the European integration, because yeah. we need now more European tools uh, to tackle directly the crisis. Now we are depending from the goodwill of the member states, yeah. in, or in terms of capacity, logistics, and so on. So we, know we need our own European instruments, Frontex and, 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 and... But at the other side, and that we discovered during the crisis, we, we need also at the highest level, not only at the level of Minister of Foreign Affairs, but at the highest level, an awareness that we are a regional player. Yeah. And that I missed dramatically. Yeah. Uh, this was not our war. We even decreased humanitarian help to the camps, which triggered the exodus. Yeah. Uh, so there was not the awareness that what's happening in our neighborhood is really our problem, that it affects our interests and affects our values. And this we have to change, and that's also one of the, let's say, the objectives of the of the meeting today to explore uh, ways of how can we have really a, a, a common foreign policy uh, where Europe can play its full role as a regional player. Migration will be a topic for the upcoming years. I'm yeah. very happy with the initiative that the Union took in Valletta. That for the first time they realized that migration and Africa is a key issue. And Under economic Pierre Vimont's leadership. Of course. <laughs> that, that, I'm, I'm mentioning it yeah. not <laughs> because Pierre is here, but he also uh, he played a key role. But this, uh, this awareness that these neighborhood problems are our problems. Yeah. Uh, but the same has to happen uh, in, regarding the, the Syrian war and, and all what's happening in the Middle East. And again, I also miss this foreign policy dimension, also at the highest level. Yeah. Now we all of a sudden we discover uh, that we are a regional player. We were aware of it in Ukraine, took some time before we got this common stance, uh, but uh, in, in the Syrian crisis I think this should be the, the outcome of it. In climate change, in Copenhagen, we failed. We draw all the lessons and we spoke with one voice in Paris. Yeah. So here also we have to draw all the lessons from this tragic experience. That's fascinating. One of the most complicated things about foreign policy though is, is that it is one of the areas where the member states are the most important and the refugee crisis is also possibly the area where the member states have been the most divided, certainly since the Iraq war, but possibly uh, the divisions go even deeper than they did back in 2003. Certainly the stakes are a lot higher for Europe than they were Because the divisions are inside our societies. Right. 
not only at the level of the elites, but inside the society. So, um, Yanis, do you want to talk a bit about sitting in Brussels here, where everyone talks about the need for, for more Europe, uh, but the reality seems to be uh, less and less Europe. In fact, if you take the foreign policy measures that we've been talking about, many of them have been um, uh, pushed forward by single member states, sometimes working at cross-purposes. On Syria, certainly, there have been huge divisions on the EU. But when it comes to Turkey, which um, President Van Rompuy mentioned, um, Germany has basically taken the lead on that and kind of moved forward in, in a unilateral way. Sometimes unilateral action is better than no action. <laughs> but uh, how do you see things uh, sitting in, in, uh, in a Brussels think tank um, as part of this conversation, which every time there's a crisis says, this is the time of Europe, we need more Europe? Well, I think that uh, this is not only something which is being felt uh, in this town, in Brussels, and in, in the EU institutions, that you need more cooperation. I think that there's a widely acknowledged um, perception also in member states' capitals that you need a European solution to the problems, the problems which we're facing now, which we'll be probably be facing for a long time to go, need to uh, be also solved through uh, deeper European cooperation. At the same time, and this is one of the discrepancies which we also saw during previous crises, including the Euro crisis, that yes, we have this appreciation for the high degree of interdependence, but that often is not reflected in political reality. So there's a difference between, on the one hand, understanding analytically that we need to cooperate, on the other hand, um, not being ready and willing to, um, to do certain things which uh, on paper seem to make sense. There are many ideas and proposals, and by the way, they have been on the table for a while when you look at issues related to the refugee crisis, which were not translated into action because uh, member states often were opposing uh, to do them. Um, so you have this discrepancy between, on the one hand, knowing that you need to do more together, on the other hand, um, uh, not um, going beyond that. Uh, what I see currently happening is a lot of firefighting, which is probably um, the most sensible thing to do in a situation where you're overwhelmed by such a crisis. We are trying uh, uh, individually and collectively, uh, predominantly, to reduce the numbers of people who will be coming uh, to Europe uh, this year, and probably also next year. I think this is the key aim, which is in the mind of many. Um, if it goes with respect to more of the structural change, which Hamad Marompa was speaking about, not only the immediate reaction and trying to reduce the numbers to firefight the, the current crisis, with respect to the longer term, I don't really see that um, a lot of things are even put on, being put on track. Yes, there are things which probably are like creating a European uh, border uh, coast guard uh, is something which one or two, three years ago we wouldn't have thought possible. Now there is at least a push to go in that direction. So there are things probably going to be done uh, which seemed inconceivable uh, some years ago. But with respect to the longer term, I'm rather not confident that we will get there. Uh, especially when we come to the moment, hopefully, at some point that we will have the impression that we're able to manage, especially the flows coming uh, to Europe, that we will go beyond that, I think, is rather unlikely with respect to foreign policy cooperation. Um, we've seen also in the past situations, um, the Iraq war was mentioned already, uh, where we saw how much, and, and look at the Balkan experience, uh, where we also saw how much need there is for us to cooperate, and we took certain lessons out of that. Uh, but with respect to fundamental structural change to create something which is more worth the name a common European foreign policy, uh, we were often lagging behind. 
So um, lots of big issues on the table. I'd like to go back to some of these kind of big questions to do with foreign policy and strategy, which, which both Pierre and Herman raised in, in different ways. But maybe before we do that, Alma, you can kind of help us, because I think one of the key things about um, foreign policy and working out how to deal with the rest of the world, there's always a prior question, which is, uh, who are we? <laughs> and as in the Euro crisis, um, there are, it's contested, the notion about who we are. Uh, in Germany, as on the Euro crisis, there's a big debate about um, Greece <laughs> and whether, uh, you know, it would be more possible to, ha to, to, to have a, a common policy if you have a smaller Europe, if you have coalitions of the willing, if it's, if uh, uh, it might make sense to have a smaller Schengen uh, going forwards. How does the internal and the external and the idea of Europe how much of that is defining the, the German debate at the moment? Lots of um, questions and, and interesting perspectives. I guess what we've seen in the, in the German context is really what has been described um, as a, mo a very formative moment for Germans feeling much more than in previous times in the Euro crisis that things in the outside world not only matter, but matter directly to how they live their lives at home. And this has been, um, for some, a real shock. Um, clearly it has shaped people's minds, it has shaped domestic conversations. Foreign policy has become uh, very much something that is part of conversations around dinner tables, not directly as foreign policy, but as the world, uh, uh, the shape of the world and our neighborhood uh, has, an, has an influence on how we can, we can live together. And um, that uh, is one thing. On another um, a level, I believe, um, President van Rompuy uh, spoke about dependence. I think Germans have seen a very formative moment in the sense of uh, seeing this moment of, of dependence, really, um, on Europeans cooperating on this issue. Of course, Germany is dependent on the euro being very uh, alive and kicking and healthy and was depending on, on partners in Europe to um, forge joint uh, solutions under under your guidance, but um, it now feels so much more a dependence that is one where Germany is not ultimately in the driving seat, but that is one where Germany, and I push the argument for the sake of the argument, is extending a helping, the need for a helping hand and feels that it's left hanging. And I know this is a very German uh, perspective perhaps, and uh, as ECFR, we are sort of uh, doing this all the time, discussing the different perspectives in, in other parts of Europe, as, as you are here in, in uh, Brussels. But this is, is a really important experience also for Germans. In a way, you can, um, you can say Germany has arrived as a normal European country, feeling what it means to be interconnected. And I'm just also observing um, on a sort of more abstract level what that does to Germany. Um, of course, we have seen um, a very heated domestic debate, um, which is heating up even more because of federal uh, state elections coming up in the spring. Um, Pierre Vimont talked about time. These things are very complex. They need time. Um, it's not simple um, sort of roots, uh, causes, effects, um, simple models that we can look at here. Um, they need thorough research analysis and then they need um, a thorough plotting out of options, technically and politically, I guess, 
But this is not uh, something that Germany has, or this coalition government has. Angela Merkel does not have time. It feels really by the day the pressure is, is growing. And the conversation, of course, we're having in Germany at the moment is really about the very foundations of the European Union, um, where I believe if, if Germany feels that no solutions can be found in the wider European family on this vital question of bringing down the numbers, bringing back a sense of control over what's happening in the country, which Germans feel they have lost, then we might see a more assertive Germany in terms of its bilateral engagements, uh, which we have seen already with regard to Turkey, which we've seen with regard to parts of the arrangements uh, that have been tried uh, in, in the sort of EU 28, um, but then didn't quite work. Um, so I believe in a, in a lot wider perspective, um, Germany will have to ask itself some tough questions with regard to its commitment to European integration as such, if this situation is not brought somewhat, somewhat under control. Um, not to make it again too simplistic, there are different views on this, but this is very much what is being felt in Berlin at the moment. So, yeah, maybe we can come back to these big questions of kind of strategy, because one of the interesting things in Germany, obviously, um, it's a very short-term perspective at the moment. The question is, how do you get numbers down before the 13th of March, when the regional elections are? And if uh, that's not possible, and it seems completely impossible, because you're going against the climate, <laughs> against the climate, in your attempt to to bring numbers down, um, there will be a political price to pay. But the issues you were talking about are much more long-term in effect. If you are really going to bring peace about. Uh, in Syria or in other countries, it's not something which will be done by the 13th of March. Um, how do you see uh, the EU actually carving out a role for itself? Because it is striking how utterly absent in Vienna uh, the European voice was. As we kind of look at what's happening in Geneva at the moment, it's, it's very much driven by others. You've got this proxy war between the regional players and then a proxy war between the US and Russia, which are creating more and more refugees and they're not going uh, to the countries in the Gulf and they're not going to, to Russia. They're, they're coming to, to, to Europe by and large and yet, um, well, obviously most of them are, stay, are going to Turkey and to, to Jordan and Lebanon, but those that are going further afield are coming to, to Europe. But yet there is no sort of political voice there. How do you go about turning that around? And particularly given the uh, French war on terror and the kind of post-Paris attacks, the focus on ISIS, which in a way could create many more refugees if we intervene in Libya, if we carry on. I mean, the bombings uh, the, in, uh, in Syria have certainly created quite large numbers of extra, the Russian bombings have created a large number of extra refugees that are, that are on the move. <clears throat> I think we we all agree this is a, a very complex issue, I yeah. have no doubt about it. Um, but I think we have to understand the whole context, and um, it's very much about time. Uh, uh, it's very much about time because if you look at the numbers, I was looking at the numbers of uh, the refugees during the, uh, the war in Bosnia, Herzegovina, in, in the 1990s, and we had more than a million refugees at that time. But the difference was precisely the time. All those refugees didn't come in a matter of uh, six months trying to move into Europe. It was 
stretch over much longer time and much longer period which allowed precisely to control this more or less in the way we wanted to do it. Here you had uh, six or seven hundred thousand people out of um, out of the million coming in less than four or five months. We have today, we still have today, more than three thousand people knocking every day on European door. And this is just impossible to handle. It's just as simple as that. Uh, any kind of uh, process of identification, etc., uh, administrative process of getting these people inside, try to see whether they have the right to, to become political refugees, uh, can't be done in only one day. It takes much longer. So if you have three 3,000 people every day coming in, you just don't control the situation. The second issue about time is what Herman Rompuy was, was saying, what we all said, is that this problem is here to stay, because even if you try to go um, and find a solution for political refugees, economic migrants are, are there behind. This is why we discussed that with African countries. This is a continent that is going to double its population in the next uh, 40 or 50 years. And these people, if they don't find employment in uh, in Africa, if they feel insecure because the other major threat in Africa at the moment is the issue of security, all these people are going to move out and try to find um, a place in, in Europe for this. When you look at all this, it is for the heads of state and government and for foreign ministers and for all the government altogether to try to look at this perspective and to have a clear strategy about what they want to do. Short term, very quick wins and quick measures that allow the pressure to go down, but long term measures that precisely try on one side to find solution to all the political crisis we have, and it's not only Syria, you're quite right, it's Libya, it's Yemen, it could be tomorrow Iraq again or Afghanistan again, because the situation in Afghanistan is far from being solved. And it's the whole issue of economic development in Africa and other parts of the Middle East. You know, the Tunisian revolution um, uh, was about jobs also, mostly, about young people not finding a job and being unemployed. So these are the issues we have to deal with. And I think the, the difficulty, as it was said before, is that we're somewhat in denial, refusing to look at this, and therefore not even starting to look at the issue understanding that it is our interest to come up and get involved in all this and come up with possible solutions. And there are possible solutions. We're still rather rich, we still have money, we still have a, a know-how and expertise that could deal with those issues. But we're not even trying at the moment because we're not putting the problems in, in the right way, it seems to me. So, Herman, I, maybe we can come to you for the last word on this um, as we wrap up what's been <laughs> quite a sort of wide-ranging discussion. It's quite difficult to get one's hands around it because there's so many dimensions to this, both domestic and foreign policy. But the thing which really struck me when you were talking earlier was this whole idea almost of, a <clears throat> of an awakening which has to take place at the highest political levels. And you were there as president of the council when there was a similar sort of geopolitical awakening on Crimea. I mean, it was a much smaller issue than the refugee crisis, but it was quite significant in terms of the way that people thought about Europe and thought about our security. How do you think that we can move from being aware that there's a problem 
to actually thinking as Europeans. Because the one thing that nobody uh, predicted was going to happen was that the EU was going to come together after Crimea in the way that it did and to agree on sanctions and to kind of stick with them because that was the most divisive issue in Europe at, at the time on foreign policy issues and there was a huge gap between uh, the way that different countries saw these things so you, you were part of kind of bringing them together it was a more narrow and limited issue Germany was also able to play maybe more of a leadership role because it was uh, less personally affected than than it is on the refugee crisis but how do you see um, that awakening taking place. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, compared to the Crimea crisis uh, and the Ukrainian crisis, the refugee crisis is, is totally different. Yeah. There are all similarities, but there are much more differences. Yeah. Uh, the, in, in Ukraine, it took us, let's say, four or five months before we get the club together on yeah. sanctions. Uh, we were, and we still are, I think, very divided. Yeah. this issue. Uh, public opinion in the new member states and Germany feel concerned by what's happening in, in, in Ukraine, but let's say in Western Europe it's far away, yeah. far, still far away. So it is a topic, uh, not, uh, not a topic for the 500 million Europeans. In the refugee crisis they are all concerned, they are all concerned, they are all involved, not only as in the Eurozone crisis, about their economic future, but all, about their way of living, their identity. Uh, so, the, the, this, the, the, you cannot compare the Ukrainian crisis and even the management of the Ukrainian crisis with the, with the refugee crisis. Uh, the, the, the refugee crisis we have, let's say, is a, a matter of internal politics, and I fully agree with, uh, with was what was said about uh, the responsibility of mainly the home ministers, the home affairs ministers, uh, but it 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 is a, a problem for our societies as a whole. But it is also a problem for the place of Europe in what we call our neighbourhood, yeah. and the southern neighbourhood uh, is yeah is related to the most dangerous place in the world. Is the Middle East. Uh, so you can draw some lessons on, on the Ukrainian crisis, uh, but uh, this is a totally different crisis. There is one common denominator. In the Ukrainian crisis, we managed to get them all on board after the downing of the MH17, after a major crisis, about, after a, a human tragedy. Yeah. Uh, here we are in the midst of a tragedy and still we are looking for a common stance uh, um, and we have to we have we have to to get results on the short term otherwise the stability of some of our countries is threatened and if the stability of uh, the biggest countries in Europe is threatened the stability of Europe is threatened and this is happening on the short term and we need so part of the dependency is not only dependent from the other European countries it's also dependent from country as, as, as Turkey and of course we have to work on a structural basis on the on, on the longer term but the longer term starts today and if we have we cannot show on a very short notice results in terms of lesser numbers 
it's painful to, to speak in those with those words then uh, I fear uh, we are ahead of uh, uh, of uh, political instability in some of our leading countries and that we have to avoid it I would say at any at any cost well, that was a pretty sobering note on which to end the discussion. Um, thank you very much to, to all of you from Piavimont, Herman Van Rompuy, Albert Muller, Yanis Emmanuelides, and myself, Mark Leonard. It's goodbye for now. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke, and our editor is Katarina Botel Atinaro. <laughs>